Welcome, friends, back to the Pastor Talk podcast, the second episode in our newest series as we talk about the real people of faith. Today, we're going to be turning our attention away from Moses, who we talked about last week. And today, we're going to be talking about Abram, or Abraham, as he is named later on in his own story. Uh, he is a really interesting character and uh, very nuanced and complex. And so we start with a little bit of his background and the, his story as it goes throughout the Bible. And I think a case could be made that Abraham is a foundational character. In fact, a case could be made that we should have started with him. But I think in some ways, Michael, his story is more nuanced, more complicated, certainly, than Moses' story. Moses' story has some complications in it. Maybe because Abraham's story is less singularly focused, it, it adds dimensions that I think make Abraham an interesting and, and I would say difficult character. It's really tough, I think, to put Abraham in a single box. There are there are moments where he shines as a man of faith. There are other things he does that seem questionable. I, I think the telling of his stories reflect the the kind of prehistoric or um, very ancient story that we're a part of, the way this narrative is told. There are times that God is very active and, and hangs heavily over the story. And other times that the focus is really on Abraham navigating things on his own. And God stands very much in the background. There are times God seems easily offended. Other times God doesn't seem to be bothered by the goings and comings of people and, and some of what they do. And I, I think maybe in in that sense and for those reasons, this story is a tough first podcast. Maybe it works better as a second step. In some ways, Moses is more accessible, I think. Yeah, for someone who maybe doesn't know exactly where Abraham fits within the biblical story, Abraham comes into the story about Genesis chapter 12. So not in the very beginning beginning. There's a little bit before Abraham, but really he does create a bridge character between some of the more classic Israelite stories of the Old Testament and creation and the beginning. And so we start in Abram's story pre really any sort of Israelite understanding. He He's called out from a pagan nation. God says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And so immediately Abram's called out of the life that he once lived in with a family and a place and ostensibly gods and called by the God to move as an act of faith into a new chapter of life. Yeah, and I suppose you could say this to some extent about Noah, but I think Abraham is the moment or the place in the, the larger narrative of Scripture where God becomes not simply the God of the universe, the God of creation, but the God of a people. And why that starts with Abraham is really never explained, uh, which is 
a very scripture-like thing for the Bible to do. Um, the Bible is not into giving us the the directions and the decisions of God that we God doesn't have to be justified, and so the Bible doesn't explain that that stuff to us. But we we just simply meet this person Abram at the time, and God says go, and. There's wonderful, in these moments where some of the Abraham stories are difficult to read, I think they are wonderfully metaphorical. They they open themselves to us. you know. And, and to Abram's credit, his response to go and I'll show you a new land doesn't even tell where he's going. He says, go and I'll basically tell you when you get there. And the full, the, the Bible's full take on Abraham's response is, so he went. God says go, so he went. And in that sense, and there are lots of those in this narrative, Abraham is is clearly a man of faith. God says it, Abraham does it. Now, I don't know if there are exceptions to that. There are some interesting detours to it. And that detour happens right away. So right in chapter 12, God says go, Abram does it. God responds and goes. And then... Literally in that same chapter, the next major section, he gets to Egypt and he starts to be a little worried about Pharaoh and he actually offers up his wife to the Pharaoh and says, she's my sister. And that, you go from a man who's willing to leave everything behind to follow God's word. And then when he is literally just, you know, one major step down in that journey, he's giving away his wife in fear of his life as if God has left him. Yeah, there's there's two versions of this story. It happens once in Egypt and it'll happen again with a king named Abimelech. But again, this is my this is my point earlier. There are times where Abraham seems left to navigate things on his own, and we could question how he does that here. You know, he may be right. Um, He may be in danger, but the way the Pharaoh handles it is seems gracious, seems himself to some extent faithful. And let's be honest, the people telling these stories love hearing that Egypt got the short end of the stick and that somebody brought hardship on Egypt and specifically the Pharaoh. So there's a little bit of smiling when it's a strange story for us, but for the people who told it and heard it, there's a little dig at Egypt built into that text. There's some talk here when you're thinking of biblical scholars and some of the more textual criticism that the setting of Abraham, both historically and in sort of the history of literature, marks him as one of, if not the very first person to emphasize monotheism. And that is a thing that makes him distinct, is it's not just that God calls, but it's that the God calls. And that calling is one away from the polytheism that would have been absolutely unquestioned at this time in history. Yeah, that's a good point, Michael. And and really, Abraham gets credited as the father of three major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And the common denominator among those three is that idea of a single God. And 
really far into the future from Abraham, in, far into even Jesus' time. In fact, uh, in some parts of the world, continuously, but even in Western culture, well into much of our established history, people are comfortable with this idea of a, a multitude of deities and, and gods. And uh, th- this is so uncharacteristic for its time frame. And Abraham, uh, you know, rightly gets credit for living that out on the front end of the, that whole uh, that whole philosophy or that whole theology. So continuing in his story a little bit, he is this initial lead into the idea of monotheism. He also gets to Egypt. He gets nervous. He offers up his wife as uh, a wife to the Pharaoh. And now his nephew comes into the picture. And so we have this whole uh, relationship that revolves around his his conversations and actions with Lot. Yeah, there's a, a several storylines that branch off of Abraham's tale and that involve Lot. Sodom and Gomorrah is largely a Lot story. Uh, Lot's daughters, Lot's wife, the pillar of salt in the aftermath of that. Uh, there is this business where Lot and Abraham find a, a good land, but Abraham feels that it's not big enough for both of them. And so he tells Lot, you decide. If you go east, I'll go west. You go west, I'll go east. I'm going to leave it to you. And of course, Abraham gets the better end of the deal. At least he does well. But Abraham does well wherever he goes. But yeah, this idea, in fact, early in the story, right after they leave Egypt, I think Lot gets captured and Abraham takes some of his people and they they have to go conquer some kind of um, nomadic people and to rescue Lot to get him back. And Abraham is able to do that as well. A couple of things in the story that I, that I like. I mentioned this idea of, I think when you preach Abraham, it's a wonderful story to, to use as, as a lens or a jumping point. And so there's a couple of things early in his story. One, the Bible tells us in at least two, and I think a couple more places, that Abraham journeys by stages which is an interesting way to think about the faith, that we are always journeying in stages. And, and secondly, almost immediately following God's call to go to a new land, Abraham passes through Canaan and God tells him, this is the place your ancestors are going to get, but you keep going, which is a very strange part of the text. Abraham needs to go and to build wealth and to gain a people and a following. But I always thought it must have been so odd to be led through a place and hear God say, this is where your people are going to live, but you're not. And and I wonder what Abraham made of that. And you can't really overstate how significant in Abraham's story his family and relationships are because... As this story continues, the fact that he and his wife have not yet had a child becomes a dominant theme. God promises him that he's going to be the father of many nations, and yet Abraham is deeply struggling with the turmoil of not having a son, not having an heir that will continue on to make that promise even possible. And 
So he takes some action to try to step into where he doesn't think God is acting enough. Yeah, and I think the struggle to have children is is painful, is hard in any age. But again, remember that this is a time in which sons inherit all of their father's estate. And the idea of afterlife really at this point is that you live on in your children and that they carry your name forward and such, particularly sons. And, And so this is not only emotionally difficult this is socially difficult this is um, theologically difficult there you know god blesses people that, that with it and so this promise of you're going to have a child and abraham and, and sarai struggle with that they 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 aren't living that out and again we see um sarah really in this instance uh, Abraham goes along with it, but Sarah really comes up with this plan B in which she takes her maid, Hagar, and gives her to Abraham. And the idea is Abraham will have children through Hagar, but they will essentially have been provided by Sarah. And it it works and doesn't work all at the same time. It sets up things like many of our choices do, a whole series of futures that they could have never anticipated. It's both them trying to fix God's problem and also creating a ton of problems that they don't see coming down the line. Yeah, and something sometimes the thing that you think you want turns out not to be at all. And so Sarah, when Hagar conceives, Sarah believes that Hagar gets um, kind of uppity with her and whether that's true or not or whether that she's sensitive. But she accuses her of it and Abraham responds by sending her away. She she tells him, I don't want her around here. And um, Abraham goes along with it. And um, there's a little side note there. She goes out in the desert. An angel is with her, cares for her. A promise is made over her child as well, Ishmael. And it's certainly not as good as the promise given to Isaac. But God is involved in that situation as well. And then and then they're kind of out of the picture for a while. But um, it must have been, again... Sometimes we don't think of these characters as people. I think we talked about that a little bit last week. But imagine Sarah gives a maid to her husband. He gets her pregnant. She gets mad about it. She argues with her husband. They send that woman and her and her soon-to-be child away. And imagine the dinner table the next month or so. I, I can't... It's just, it's just, it's hard to wrap your head around what that looks like relationally. Right. And the complications for Abraham just continue on because you've got the guy who's cowering by Pharaoh. And then as the story goes on, he starts interceding for Sodom with God. He, he starts negotiating with God, trying to say, hey, 
let's keep this city from getting destroyed. And ultimately, he's not successful in that. But it's amazing how the guy who seems spineless in one story and another suddenly has a massive backbone. Yeah, and and this relational, the, the relationship between God and Abram is very interesting. And, and this moment where he's bartering with God, you know, well, you wouldn't want to destroy the city if there was 50 people. Well, you know, what if it was 40 people? And he, and he gets him all the way down to 10, and evidently there aren't 10, and so he's still... It still happens, and and maybe that's why God's going along with it. I, you know, it's it's a strange story, but it does say something of Abram's relation, um, which is, I think, a, a a depth to the character. Michael, it would be easy to read, and we're going to see in a few chapters an instance of it that is really troubling, where God simply says, "Do something," and Abraham, but he's not a robot. He struggles. You know, just before that, we're told that he was 86 when Ishmael's born. And 13 years later, when he's 99, God shows up again and says, hey, I haven't forgotten. You're going to have a son. And by the way, your name is now Abraham, not Abram anymore, but it's Abraham. And in the midst of this, God also says... uh, this is where we institute the covenant of circumcision, marking God's people. And God has this long, drawn-out command that he gives Abram. And then it says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is a hundred? So fascinating. The first thing he does post-name change. God changes his name, which means like the father of multitude. Um I'm going to make you the father of many. And his first act as this new person, Abraham, is to fall face down laughing at this ridiculous thing that God has said. And the relationship between God and Abram is fascinating. I think we see it in that bargaining text as well. Um, he, he He is not simply mindfully, mindlessly obedient. I mean, there is a give-and-take relationship here, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, and that brings us up to probably one of the greatest tests of Abram's life, of, at this point, Abraham's life and faith. Uh, He is, of course, uh, miraculously, he does have a son, and God comes to him and says, uh, Abraham, I'm calling you to sacrifice this son, to take him up onto a mountaintop and to kill him which would have been a very common, though uh, still gruesome and not altogether uh, pleasant thing, even in that time. Other cultures were aware of this practice, but uh, in Scripture, it speaks with a very common voice against, in fact, all of the conquest narratives. That's one of the things leveled against the opponents is what they're willing to do to children. Here, God calls Abraham to do this. Abraham grabs his knife grabs his son and a party, goes out to the mountain, goes up to the mountain, and uh, we have this story where God stays the knife at the very last possible moment. Yeah, we begin that story with the words, God tested Abraham. And and test it isn't exactly a pass-fail. kind. It, it means put a hard thing in front of it. He made him deal with something. But 
the the sense is here that God is trying to find out if Abraham is completely faithful and and this by any standard Michael is I I think one of the more difficult texts in the scripture that that God would put a parent through this that a parent would obey seemingly going along with it and and again, typical of the Abraham stories, we don't get argument, we don't get struggle, we don't get a long night of, can I do, we simply get, God says do it, and Abraham goes to do it. Now, there's a Jewish interpretation of this that says Abraham knows he's being tested, and he's essentially playing chicken with God as to who's going to blink first. And, you know, I, you'd like to think maybe that's true, but that's not exactly how the text paints it but there there is this there is this moment that i think is hard to connect with but it's very profound with abraham the the one who has received the covenant in obedience holding the knife over the one isaac who has been given as covenant willing it seems to do whatever God asks, trusting God more than anything else. And that's a that's an uncomfortable story for most of us. And in fact, it's so uncomfortable, it's hard to give Abraham a lot of credit for being faithful. We, we almost are more inclined to judge him as monstrous <laughs> than we are to credit him as faithful or as obedient. But the the story clearly makes it that way. God God intervenes and then says, "Now I know because you were willing to do this, I, I'm going to give you the full blessing. I'm going to do all the things that I said, um, and I now know something about you. You passed the test essentially, and um, it's a uh, it's not. I don't know that it's anybody's favorite story." I think you, I don't want to dig in here too deeply yet, but I, I do think it's worth saying, put this in conversation with a guy who falls in his face laughing when God makes this promise, you're going to have a son. And then when God says, I want you to kill that son that you got miraculously, he seems willing to do that. There's a deeply complicated character here and i think that's intentional the biblical authors are not intending to provide a clean i would even say sort of whitewashed wall this is a person who's got texture they've got grays they've got just a lot of things happening under the surface and what maybe we do as a real disservice to abraham is we memorize our children's bible stories of him and then we act as if that is the full picture. And the truth is, he's a much more nuanced character than that. Yeah, and he leaves that place calling it Jehovah Jireh or the Lord will provide. And and you do have a sense that it it may be that it may simply be that Abraham is a man who has such complete trust in God that he's able and willing to throw himself on God's commands. Uh, but it's it's a challenging story. I, I think I don't think anyone can read that story without some real soul searching. And to its credit, I think that's 
on purpose. I think the story intends to do that to us. Yeah, absolutely. And Abraham leaves that place. Uh, Sarah dies. Uh, We have some relational things. Yeah, so fascinating. The, The text hasn't mentioned it before, but from this point on, the text points out that Sarah is not where Abraham is. They, she, when she dies, she's in another place. And there is one school of thought that asks the question, did, did Sarah hear what had happened and was unable to look at Abraham? I mean, was she so upset that they sort of resided separately in different towns from then on? And, and it, that's not scripture that that's mm-hmm. guessing at scripture and so you want to be careful with that and we we told you we'd try to identify when we do that but it is fascinating that the bible hadn't mentioned that she lives in a different place until the the post isaac sacrifice story and then it tells us she was living in a, in a different town when she passed away and he he secures burial for her um at this point, it says he's advanced in years, and yet uh, he's going to get married again. Gets married to uh, a woman named Kutura and has six more kids. So, um, which is an interesting part of the Abraham story too. It, it is this story of struggle and barrenness, but Abraham himself is always seen as this man of virility and strength. And so he's well into his hundreds. He lives to 175. So he's, uh, I'm not sure if it tells us how old he is when he gets remarried, but he begins having sons. Um, I think he has six children at this point. And then he himself dies uh, at 175 years old. And... The covenant, though God was good to Ishmael and to all of his other children, it is clear in Scripture that the covenant passes from Abraham to Isaac. And I think this is really an interesting place to sort of pull back a little bit and to see. We've we've gone through some of these stories of Abraham's life, but there's a there's an interesting thing here, I think, in how he operates as a bridge from the early Genesis accounts. You have creation, uh, fall, sin, Noah. You really have this very cosmic setup kind of thing that happens in the, in the text. And then Abraham and everything that's going to follow him is really the story of this covenant. And so I think it's worth digging in there for just a moment. On one hand... Abraham seems chronically unable to stand up in certain moments and toe the line of the covenant. He, he falls on his face when God promises stuff and he's laughing at God. Then on the other hand, he seems like a zealot who's willing to go to the edge of the universe to do whatever it takes to uphold the, the covenant. And this covenant, which passes to his son and son and son, all throughout scripture, we hear resonances of God making that covenant to this person becomes the very covenant that God is true to all the way to Jesus and beyond. Uh, The Apostle Paul in the New Testament is referencing this covenant and pointing to Abraham as a exemplar of faith. Yeah, I, I think, again, to Abraham's credit, it's hard to paint him with one brush. He, he, 
he has this journey by stages in his in his faith. Um, as we read his story, there are times that it's very inspiring. Times it's a little troubling, and in those ways, the situations are larger than life, right? I mean, we we can't really put ourselves in those kind of moments, but it it feels like he's human. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like he's a real man navigating these things, sometimes with absolute clarity and focus, and, and other times wavering or, or unsure. And I think for most of us, that feels a little bit like a place we've been to. You know, we we journeying by stages. We're seeking to follow God. Sometimes the, the implications of that are crystal clear, big and loud, and go do this. And then we struggle whether or not to do them. Sometimes we are able to trust. Sometimes we struggle. And other times we find ourselves in those places where the voice of God doesn't seem particularly clear, and we we find ourselves trying to navigate relationships and situations, and and do our best. And I, I think there's a familiarity to that in the Abraham story that um, helps us resonate with a person who, in in other words, is or in other uh, in other ways, is probably larger than most of our life experiences. I've got to be careful in this series that I don't overuse this and bore people. But I do think one of the significant reasons we can trust the scriptural account is because of its willingness to show some of these raw aspects of these characters. Because if you read some literature of ancient religions, they're not very often going to portray characters in a very nuanced form. Most of the time... These founding characters have all the power, all the insight, all the strength. They're the winners. They get it right all the time. That's why they're worth following. That is not the case, uh, especially with this person, Abraham. You, You have an account of someone who has moments of deep connection with God. In fact, we, we pass by the story of Melchizedek and this idea that God does a good thing and Abraham just gives away loads of stuff just readily. He's just willing to give. He's a person whose faith enables action. And yet also when things get hard, situations become complicated, when he feels threatened, suddenly that faith is it buckles. It's far less secure. And the biblical account of Abraham includes all of it. Yeah, it's it's a telling reality, I think, Michael, that if you look through the lens at this story with the question, what does God ask of Abraham? Right? This isn't Hercules who's called to the 12 great labors. This This isn't one of those religious stories in which the 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 main character the protagonist is given this unimaginable accomplishment they they have to go do interestingly enough all abraham is really asked from god is to trust mm-hmm. and that makes him a very compelling first character of the covenant mm-hmm. 
because so much of the scripture is going to take us back to that place, we are rarely, if ever, called to do those unimaginable things. Most of our faith is lived in that simple challenge to trust, to to have faith, to go when we're invited to go, to believe, to hang on, to you know, you know, to 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 do the simple stuff. And I I think in some ways that makes Abraham a very real kind of character, a very helpful kind of character. And it's for that same reason I think that Christians throughout all time have latched on to him as an exemplar of faith. Because fundamentally, we are all tempted, I think, to make Canaan our focus. And what I mean by that is we, we tend to focus on the thing that we want or the way we think should things should be. And we trust God. Yeah, God's going to get me to that place or to this moment in life. And the truth is, Clint, most of the time we walk past Canaan. Most of the time we, we get to the thing we think we want the whole time and then we realize, oh wait, life pushes us beyond it because that was never the goal. It was always about the willingness to say, I'm ready. Here I am, God. Send me. And Abraham, I think, exemplifies that in his own life and story. Yeah, and it's dangerous to read some of those foundational biblical stories as metaphor, but maybe there's metaphor in it. When he gets the thing that was supposed to be the thing, he has his son, then the first question is, could you release that as well? And and you think how often we have those things in our life that we really take our, our success, our families, our houses, our jobs, our whatevers, th- that we take as a sign that God is with us. And, and we, you know, we hold them tight. And what if God said, that's the very thing I, I demand from you. That's the very thing I ask of you. Let go of that. And, and again, I, I, that's not a fair equivalent to a father being asked to offer his son, and nor do I mean to suggest it is. But it's a question in there somewhere, and I think it's, it's a good one. We also always have to come to these stories recognizing that Abraham, Sarah, Lot, these are not the sum of the characters of these stories. God is the central character of Abraham's story. God calls, Abraham goes, of course, but God is present at every leg of this journey. And it's significant that when God makes this covenant, when we say covenant, we may not connect exactly to what that means in this time frame. It, it's an agreement that has contractual obligations on both sides. Both parties are connected by this agreement. And the truth is, as you see it play out, Abraham is unable to keep the full burden of the covenant. He he can't be true throughout the whole process. But God is. God is faithful to the covenant. And what's fascinating is this story of God asking an unimaginable gift God is then willing to do with his own son, which Old Testament scholars would not be comfortable with that statement, but Christians throughout time have. 
sure. pointed to how God kept the covenantal request that he asked of Abraham when he gave his own son to die for us. And it would be amiss, I think, for us to look at Abraham to point out, yes, he's a complicated character. He gets it right. He gets it wrong. But then to point out that yet even with his failings and misgivings, his weaknesses and his strengths, God, even with Ishmael, God is still branching off of those choices and actions and moments. And God is making good of that in this sort of plan that Abraham could have never seen in action. Yeah, I think there's a helpful pattern in these stories in which the outcome The outcome is determined. You know, God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of, of a multitude of people. But the way there is fluid. It's, it's dynamic. And I think that's helpful. You know, mm-hmm. we, we live in an era in which there are those who would like to argue that everything is mapped. And I find these stories a somewhat helpful corrective. The plans of God are absolute, and and the purposes of God will be unthwarted. But it's not always a straight line that takes us there. In fact, it it is in sometimes in the wandering and the missteps that we gain the greatest understanding of what it means that God is with us, that we are called on this journey, that we are moving toward that promise, and even what that promise is. And I, I, I find that, I, I'm glad that the Bible didn't boil that all down and make it simple. I, I like that there's layers. I like that there's uncertainty. I like that it leaves some of the question marks there, because again, that feels like life. That feels, I, I don't know what it's like to get told to, hey, get up all your stuff and get out. I don't know what it's like to wait for years and years and years to get something and then be asked to give it up. But I understand a little bit of those things, and it, and it feels real to me. I imagine there may be someone listening into the conversation today who might say, I feel like an imposter in church. I feel like I don't have the faith that other people have. I don't have the biblical knowledge. This guy, Abraham, I don't really know anything about him. And I think what's a powerful thing is to recognize Abram didn't know anything about God. I mean, we don't have a backstory, really, to this man. So God calls. He responds in faith. He, he's willing to learn on the road. And that's something that I think all of us could benefit from. Instead of trying to strive to look like something or be able to talk like something, if you have an idea of what a Christian is, it's far more helpful to be willing to trust God and to take the first step of a faith journey than it is to try to mm-hmm. pretend something. Correct me if I'm missing one, Michael, but I cannot think of a single story in the Bible where a character comes to God first. Mm. The, the primary movement mm. for anyone who knows anything of God is God comes to them. And again, I, I think that's a wonderful um, lesson. It, God, we're not expected to figure God out. We're invited to follow. And sometimes that means following without many answers. Where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. 
Well, what's wrong with this place? Oh, it's a good place, but that's not your place. What do I do here? Eh, figure it out. What do I do here? I'll tell you. And again, that's just, that feels to me what it's like to try and live out faith. And I, and I think that's, I think that's helpful and on the whole makes me uh, mostly an Abraham fan. You could also say that about family. Uh, sure. We all know something about complicated families, about how these relationships are hard and things go and choices are made that we wish hadn't and struggles and even conflicts. I think Abraham is another really gracious reminder that there is no such thing as a perfect family system. There's no such thing as everybody always getting along and understanding it, that God's able to work through the mess and the complicated relationships that we have. And many of us are deeply grieved by those relationships. God, God is still present even in places that we find struggle. 100%. Yeah. Uh, there, again, there really aren't any stories in the scripture of the person who has it all figured out. And God says, hey, because you've got it all figured out. Welcome to the team. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not generally how it works, which I think is great news for all of us who don't have it figured out. So that's a little bit on Abraham. I uh, hope there was something in there that might have spoken to you. Hope that it might have piqued some interest. If you wanted to read, that's uh, you know your Genesis twelve following. You get most of the Abraham stories, a few Lot stories, a couple other stories thrown in there, but in in Six or eight chapters, uh, probably a little bit more like eight or ten chapters, you would have most of the Abraham story if you wanted to get in and, and read it. Otherwise, we hope that something in this has been helpful and appreciate you listening. Absolutely. We want you to know that at nine o'clock central time on Wednesdays, we are releasing the next episodes of the podcast on Facebook. You can watch that as it broadcasts out live via Facebook premiere. Uh, The perk of that is Clint and I will at least be in the comments there and happy to engage with any questions or conversations that get struck up there. In fact, this is a great time if you're joining us today. uh, Drop in a question that you might have or a thought. We'd love to see that. But in addition to that, if you're joining us by podcast, once again, please, if you wouldn't mind, uh, give us five stars there. That helps us a lot. And, of course, uh, share with anybody who you think might be interested. We're glad to continue this series about the real people of faith. Look forward to seeing you next Wednesday.